You ever think about quitting? It's the combat of life hammering the snot out of you. Well, stand by, dig in deep, and get ready to get fired up with us. Welcome to the Team Never Quit Podcast, the number one podcast that inspires you to fight on. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell. Our mission is to help you embrace the suck of life, to teach you the values of working your ass off, and to interview the most hard-charging people on planet Earth. We know life is hard. It's time for you to suck it up, buttercup, and let us teach you to persevere in every environment imaginable by sharing real-world lessons learned by those who never quit. That's right. It's time, Marcus, for us to help them defeat the well, negative you insurgency me up, man. in their lives. You fire me up. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's roll. Let's roll. Welcome to the TNQ Podcast. I'm your host, David Rutt Rutherford, here with Mr. Never Quit himself, Marcus Luttrell, and the Yeah, I I died on that one. Sorry, brother, man. That I'm, right. my, the my lungs. The excellence got so thick. It got so thick, it destroyed my choking. lungs. <laughs> I can't even begin to tell you how fired up I am. We have got somebody, Marcus, that's coming on to today that, I mean, when you talk about never quit, man, I go back to some of the most profound shows that we've done with uh, Charlie Plum. Dewey Bozella, mm-hmm. and now we've got Kwame coming on, man. The whole idea of incarceration, your freedom being taken away. I mean, you, I think about my mom, what, why I joined the military, why I wanted to be a SEAL, why I, want, why I promote our American values. It's about freedom and democracy, right? Absolutely. And, and, and here we have a guy coming on that literally – can it talk to the fact of what it means to be wrongfully incarcerated for 27 years? Sure. I mean, you, you rattle off those two names. There's a, there's a few of our guests. The Never Quit stories, every one of them are monument. Huge. Epic, right? And, and everyone can relate to that. There's a, there's a few guys we bring on that it's just one of those situations where it's getting your freedom pulled away from you, that's almost like dying. I mean, a component of it, right? right. That emotional death. You're not ready for that, especially yeah. in the world we live in. That's snatched away from you. That's kind of that's well, meaning of life is it has meaning, and it's kind of hard to get any meaning while you're in there if you're not ready for that at all. If you're mentally not developed, and, right. and I can't wait to hear that process for him. But even on top of that, man, he was sent. He was sentenced to death. I mean, he was on death row at 17 years old, man. I mean, think about that. Have, have, have you ever been into one of those places? Have you ever seen Death Row or anything I like that? I, mean, I went to college in, in Huntsville. Wow. That's where we keep the pins and the rows out there. Uh, Walls unit, it's changed now since I'm, I've gotten older. But, oh, yeah, I went out there one time. Wow. And um, the bar I, that Mojo and I used to bounce at, the, mm-hmm. the bartenders worked at the prison. And then the, mm-hmm. one of the main bartenders, James, great guy, but, Awesome dude, man. He took care of me. Love you, James, man. He's just what you imagine the the head guard at Death Row would look like. Huge. <laughs> Ball head. Right, it looked right. like the King Fan. Just oh right, yeah. man. Just the nicest guy in the world. 
I'll tell you, I'll show you. One time I was in a fight with a guy, and he came up behind me and grabbed me and just picked me up, turned around, and walked off. And I couldn't do anything. That's how big this dude is. That's big. Right? That's big. And I knew it was him when he got hold of me. I just went, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he picked you up by the scruff of the neck. And just he just picked me up from behind up. and just carried me off. <clears throat> I was like, okay. Roger that. <laughs> but uh, I, M- Mojo and I had asked a couple of times. We never asked him what the job was like because it's just on It's kind of like asking guys in the military. Same yeah. thing with prison guards. You just don't ask them about it. If they want to talk about it, that's fine. But um, truth is the story. <laughs> He's like, hey, I need you guys. Morgan and I were getting a little out of hand, so he's like, come with me. Yeah, and, and uh, we, it's it's something. Being in jail is one thing for something dumb, but when you're in the prison, when that door shuts behind you, it's a whole the smell and just the, and you know you're locked into something. Yep. It's secure, and then when you going on the roads, you think regular jail is bad. It's nothing compared to what the row is. I mean, that's. The worst, the worst go up in there. So it's isolated and regimented. And I don't even have the words to describe it. It's like you go in there, you got to switch into your mindset of finality, uh, right? Yeah, survival kind of everything's changed. Yeah. Time no longer has control right, other than saying. the end you the of your life. You do the time. And once you figure that part out, I mean, it's basically what this kind of deal where you're, you're not going into prison, you're stepping into your mind, right? And yep. you have all that time to, to better yourself mentally. That's awesome. It's a powerful adjustment to everything that you could possibly, that we normally take for granted, right? And that's freedom, right. and that's your ability. Yeah, imagine to move going in with, there for something you didn't do. Like if you did something, and you nah. get, if you get the, res- I mean, when you walk in there, that's one thing. But walking in there, not having a clue about what you were supposed to be, uh, supposedly had done, much less survive. Seventeen jumped in with a bunch of men. Yeah, it's wild. No. So if 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 you're a new listener to this show, stand by because this one is going to be intense. It's going to be powerful, and it's going to be incredibly uh, beneficial for you if you're locked in your own prison in your life, whatever that may be, whether it's literally or in the prison of your mind. Uh, you know, this show is going to be a powerful show for you. If you're coming back for more, thank you so much. We really appreciate your your being here. Uh, it, it's an incredible thing. Um, if you want to know more about it, it is what it is we do, go visit our website at tnqpodcast.com, uh, where you can download all our shows. We'd love to have you contribute and send in your greatest never quit story. We've got this beautiful community of supporters on team never quit. People have shared their great, amazing stories. So please share yours. We also have amazing merchandise and, and, and some great t-shirts and all the different types of things that can really benefit uh, your support and the support of us and and what the show stands for. Uh, We're also all on social media. Uh, I'm at Team Frog Logic. Marcus is at Marcus Luttrell. The Wizard is at The Wizard TNQ. You got the show at TNQ Podcast. Please follow along. Wizard, tell us a little bit about Kwame. Kwame Ajamu. He's uh, from Cleveland, Ohio. His story started as a teenager there in Cleveland uh, when he and two others were wrongfully convicted, sentenced to death in 1975 for a murder robbery. The sole evidence was a false and uh, coerced eyewitness testimony from a 13-year-old boy who was to later actually play a central role in their eventual exoneration many, many years later. Um, Kwame himself spent 28 years in prison, but like I said, he was convicted along with his brother Wiley and his friend Ricky Jackson. 
they both stayed incarcerated for, I believe, around 12 or 13 more years. In fact, his brother, uh, Wiley Jackson, when released, uh, after 39 years, was that was the longest incarceration ever served for a person who was subsequently exonerated later. I know he's going to get into a lot of the details of his story, so I just want to give the 30,000-foot you know, view on that. Um, really, let's, let, let's talk to the man. Absolutely. What do you say, Mark? Yeah, let's bring one. him on. Marcus, I'm telling you, man, when my buddy, Mike Goodman... Put me, you know, he he talked to me about this guy, man. I did an event with Mike and his company, and he said, Rut, man, he goes, he sits me down, he goes, there is a guy that I know who knows the never quit mindset better than any human being I have ever met in my whole life. I was like, oh, you know, my, my little spidey senses triggered. I was like, my God, who? And he tells me about Kwame. And I was like, my God, do you think he'd want to come on the show? And Marcus, what do you think? What do you think has happened, buddy? He's here. He's here. He is here. He is sitting right here. We're staring at his beautiful mug on Skype right now. So let's bring him on. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, Mr. Kwame Ajamu. Thank you, sir, so much for coming on. Yes, it is indeed a pleasure and an honor. It's always a pleasure for me uh, to stomp down that society that broke down the one that truly is the society of life. And a- lives. Amen. It's an honor that you allowed me to come and do so uh, on your podcast. Well, that's and great, sir. We, we really appreciate here. it. Yeah, thank you. All right. Now, before we get going, before <laughs> we get into the meat and the potatoes of this thing, before we really dig into your never quit mindset, we first gotta get what warmed up, sir. We gotta, we gotta, we gotta massage that gray matter. We gotta get limbered up. We gotta get some coffee in us, and we gotta start. We gotta start stretching out with what we call the mad minute. Now, the mad minute will be a a, a rapid fire series of questions. Now, these questions are going to be the most difficult questions you've ever faced in your life. (laughs) Yeah, we promise you that. (laughs) These ones are going to stump you more than any question has ever stumped you. (laughs) So, sir, are you ready for the mad minute? Yes, I'm ready for this mad Mm. minute. (laughs) Okay, okay. Marcus, fire away. First car. My first car yes, sir. was 1961 Ford Country Sedan wagon. Engine. I used to race. Used you to raced race it? it? Yeah. I used to race it against all my friends. They had a thing when I was a kid, race title for title. Oh. And, you know, sometimes you come away with a nice wagon. Sometimes you come away walking, you know. Oh, that's awesome. That's hardcore, man, racing for pinks, because especially you don't know what's under the hood. Back then, especially because you get over there and tinkering around the motors, you can really get some ponies pushing out of them. Kids these days, Absolutely. some of those racers do that. But, man, that's yeah. that's a lot giving up your ride. I still love, I still love to go fast, too. Absolutely. <laughs> Hell, yeah. You just got Wizard fired up on that statement. Fast, uh, hard, <laughs> All right, Wizard, fire away. 
All right. Uh, who was one of your heroes when you were young? Oh, man, that's easy. Uh, well, I got two, but because I like to go fast in the cars, the Flash was my man, you know? Uh, <laughs> answer that question. <laughs> Everybody gets a nickname usually when we refer to him after the show because when y'all want y'all to come on, man, we, we had – we bring you into the fold. You're in the family, so this is the Flash, That's right? the Flash from right. now on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. If you could go back in history and for any time and sit down with somebody for a whole day and just, and just swap stories and ask questions, who would it be? Oh, man. Oh, man. It would be uh, Mahatma Gandhi. Yeah. Awesome. That would yeah. be wild, yeah. right? That's funny you should bring him up. I was thinking about Gandhi yesterday when we were doing something like, man, I, and there's that one thing. I, if I could go back, go back and talk to Gandhi. Yeah, he's he up there something. in top what, 10 for sure. What do you think yeah. you'd ask him? Um, uh, the reason why I say that yeah. is because um, I, uh, all my life, I've asked Gandhi, you know, to myself in my head if I ever talk to him. The same question that people ask me, which, you know, we'll get to when you get to my right, story. Right, right, right. That's why I would I would definitely I like to talk with Gandhi. Huh. Yeah. Kindred spirits, kindred spirits. Yeah, yeah that's yeah. awesome. All right, Marcus, fire away. Who is the one person you can talk to just about anything? Now living? Yes, sir. Or no? Yeah, 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 yeah. Living. It would be my wife. Awesome. That's right? a good man that's right the best there. Best part about that, man. I dump everything <laughs> in mine too, sir. <laughs> awesome. All right, what is a uh, what's a bucket list item that you have that you're yet to complete? So, um, erase the bucket part. I don't like to be at the end of anything. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> sure, you know, right. on the list of things that we got to get done all is right. um, seriously, guys. Uh, I uh, I have an affinity towards um, the way the world is being dominated in the sociological fields in this life. I, I, I don't understand why people are hungry. I don't understand that. And um, especially in the United States of America, um, we just restaurants throw away tons of food, you know, mm. and there's a man right next door laying on the, on the ground. I never could understand that part. You see that so, all the time, right? Where they come out and they're throwing it away with a dude standing there hungry exactly. and hell just leave. I, so, you know, if, if I could, if I could uh, stretch with, you know, that imaginary thing, it would be to, to uh, circumvent how people uh, live, man, in this world, because we have to come together and be one. Amen. As a, as a people. Amen. I agree with you. 100%. Well, that's a massive topic right there. All right. What are the top three books that you've read in your life? Oh, uh, so, uh, and this is uh, really something, too. Uh, I think the most uh, strategic book that I read was uh, actually an Islamic book uh, on war. Oh, wow. Um, the Battles of the Prophet. And, uh, uh, you know, some fascinated wars in there. <laughs> well, that, <laughs> but, that, what Muhammad's top general was considered one of the top generals of all time. Ever right, yeah, and uh, yeah, and, uh, and in that in that book, the battles, the battles of uh, Bidah, yeah, is it? 
It's ice cold, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, strategies there, you know. Very cool. Chess and, chess and pool. You yeah, know? yeah. Uh, hmm. So, you know, I shoot a great game of pool and I play an awesome game of chess. So, you know, <laughs> there it is. Um, <laughs> the other really, really, really good book I read um, was um, George Jackson's Solar Dad Brothers, uh, believe it or not. Um, it was uh, part of my death row time. Mm-hmm. And uh, but uh, the, and uh, what really, 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 really grabbed me in that book was because he wrote letters. Uh-huh. And uh, in one of the letters, he explained uh, my position and I think the position of everybody who had been subjugated uh, or who are being subjugated. And he said that uh, prison uh, will either bring out the very best in you or destroy you completely. Wow. Hmm. And uh, and those words stick with me today. You know, yeah, uh, because, uh, you know, that's obviously how I got here. Exactly. Uh, and then and then, of course, the uh, the other most um, book that uh, really is fascinating, I, I would recommend it uh, is. Um, and ran. Yeah. And, uh, <sighs> you know, I, I could say her an entire series. Excellent. But, but when you ask who is John Galt? You know, who is John Gold? Yeah. <laughs> Atlas Shrug. Hey, we had a fantastic, we, uh, fantastic had, book. You had Atlas Shrug in your hand mm, yesterday. I did actually. That's, <laughs> yeah, that, you that did. That's true. Yesterday. Wow, that's those are great yeah, answers. Yeah, yeah. Great answers. Uh, yeah, thank he, you for that. All right, Marcus, fire away. All right, when you're in a bad mood, do you like to be cheered up or left alone? When I'm in a bad mood, uh, yeah, I like to be uh, cheered up. Um. Because I'm a social being, so I never want no one to see me uh, in a different light than what I am, and 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 uh, because it's a beast in me, you know. Yeah. And uh, and uh, you know, and I I, I pray, <laughs> I pray I don't ever have to let that boy go, because you know, really, man, it's a whole oh, lot yeah. of shit in me, you know. So I bet. And all- oh, you yeah. When you make that transition in your life, that we. We all have, and from the warfighter, from the fight, warrior, basically from the warrior to the to the other side, there is a the yeah. peace to it. You can always yeah. feel that tiger in the back, right? If it was ever exactly because there's little things. Even if you are a complete peace and you let things go, like we do as, uh, when we get older, man, there's yeah. still the situation that happens that you remember back in the day. Like, no normally doubt. I would have twisted your no head off for that, right? Mm-hmm. What I normally do, what I normally do, though, being that. Uh, you know, I'm the, the chairman here in this organization is uh, I would call someone, you know, uh, one of the guys and uh, they'd be the first to tell you. And they didn't know it until maybe uh, maybe four or five months ago. And we were all together kicking it. And, uh, you know, it was just, you know, time for us to talk. And we were talking and, uh, you know, it came time for me to share uh, something that was intimate, you know. And uh, and that's what I told him exactly what we're saying now is that, uh, you know, if, if I'm having a bad day. You know, I call one of you guys out the blue, you know. Right. And, and so my one man out of uh, Chicago, he told me, he said, damn. He said, so you've been calling me? <laughs> you know, he said that word. Right, right. right. And, uh, you know, I said, yeah. I said, because, you know, steel shop and steel, man. You know. Amen. Said, you know, you don't always have to know you did what a brother going to to know that he your brother. Um, you dig? Absolutely. So, so, you know, that's that's where I am, man. I, you know, I carry... 
I carry a struggle, you know, all the way to the end. That's I, just me. That's beautiful. That's the best part about <laughs> still running around with a crew too, because I, yeah. when I get like that, I call them up, and I, I'm not, I'm calling them, but I'm not going to talk about what's on my mind. I'm talking about something they know that, exactly. right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> hey, did you catch the game the other day? Like, just whatever you want to talk about, or I'll do the. Hey, I need exactly you to show up. Right. I, you know, I need. We need to hang out. Totally right. simple. That, that that's of, simple. And everyone's like, "All right, cool. Well, I know exactly what needs to happen. I got to go." Yeah, exactly right. You know, and 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 it it, it always works. It it, it dissipates. That's man. right. It does it work. <laughs> it tempers that. It tempers that fire inside mm. for sure. Exactly. All right, wizard. Well, you let, last question. Great answer with that book question that Dave asked you. So I want to know. I bet you have some favorite quotes. I'd like to hear one or two quotes that really stand out to you. So, um, this is, uh, a quote, uh, can you see my, my t-shirt? <clears throat> yeah, we got it. Witness so, to innocent 15th anniversary. Exactly. So on the back of the t-shirt, we normally put quotations from, from right. that have passed on. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, uh, this particular quotation on the back of this t-shirt is from a brother out of New Orleans by the name of John Thompson, who passed away um, October the 3rd, just passed. Sorry for your loss, Kwame. Uh, yeah, because that's really dear to me. Mm. He was really, really, really a good brother. I love him dearly and I uh, miss him so much. But the quotation that uh, on the back of this shirt says, uh, the prosecution rests, but I can't. Wow. That's so profound. That was, uh, that was way before he even died that... Uh, I took a fancy to that quotation. Oh. Well, that 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 is the perfect segue for us to to change directions here. Uh, one first, thank you so much for the mad. What was that, Wizard? Mad nine minutes, mad. Mad. Yeah, that was mad. <laughs> <10 minutes. laughs> for the mad ten minutes, Marcus. We just call it the mad ten minutes. That knowledge, it's it's the great. That's how you know you're gonna have. A great guest. Right, when, yeah. when, when the Mad Minute questions it's, generate it's awesome. something heavy like that, they're like, here we go, dude. Here Just we go. go for the ride. I love it. Right. Well, well, thank you, sir, for that. But the reason, the main reason why people, our listeners, have come to the show in millions is not because of Marcus and, uh, and my funny rhetoric, but it's because of incredible human beings such as yourself that have come on the show and decided to share something really profound with our listeners who might be in their own prison, if you will, or actually in prison or in a place in their life where they just don't see the light at all. And so, you know, sir, if you could. Yeah, they're still in that, in that trend. I'm sorry, that transition point when, from when they were in the light and they st they're stepped right. into the darkness now. So the fear and it's, they're in that spot, right? Absolutely. And they're actually here to hear you for you to hear you, how you went through. Cause there's a couple and you're a prime example of, of staying in the darkness for an extended amount of time right. and then coming out even shining brighter than ever. So. Thank you for doing this. I'm sorry, man. I'm no, no, I love that you get fired yeah, up yeah, like that. Like he's <laughs> never done that, Kwame. He's never, yeah. he's never chimed in at that part. So I'm just going to get out of the way. Would you please share your never quit story or stories with our listeners? Okay. So ooh, the year was 1975. And um, this is when I became uh, a personal Superman. Okay. 
17 years old, had never been in any trouble in my life, uh, believed in all the things that were pertinent uh, in a 17-year-old young man's uh, mind, aspirations, and dreams. You know, played ball at John Hay High School. Wasn't that good, but, you know, I still played. I was on the team. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, a whole lot. Had had girls, the whole nine yards. You know, my brother had just got a new car. We was, the year was 75. His car was 71. So, you know, we was popping. We just three years apart, you know. <laughs> and then, bam, here comes wrongful incarceration driving this big, ugly wheel through my neighborhood. Wow. And uh, this uh, money order salesman, 59-year-old Caucasian man, was um, in making his last drop. And he was robbed and murdered there in the neighborhood. It would only take three days thereafter before they would have three individuals, myself, my brother, and my good friend. All based on a uh, lie and a cohorted lie uh, from a young 12-year-old boy who was so, uh, he was so socially degraded that, uh, you know, they used to pop him in the head. You know, he had he was real skinny, had thick pop bottle glasses, you know, he was the paper boy. So he didn't get a lot of respect in the neighborhood. And when this murder happened, he just happened to step up and say, I know who did it, you know. Wow. And uh, we would find out 39 years later, um, you know, that uh, that's why he was just socially unattractive and he wanted some attention. Wow. So the police reeled him in. Yeah, man, they reeled him in. Mm -hmm. And uh, at that particular time, he tried to unconfess, right? He told him that, no, he didn't, really didn't know. And uh, he called his mom. His mom His mom was in the hospital. And uh, his mom told him, well, Edward, his name is Edward Vernon. Said, Edward, if you um, didn't see those boys do that, then you have to tell the cops that. And uh, he did. But uh, his mother was in the hospital because she had ovarian cancer. Oh. And she was dying. She was dying. And so, do you see where the story's going? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Mm -hmm. So the police accused that, that boy and told him that if he, because he was so young, didn't change his story, they would lock up his sick mom instead. What? And, oh. uh, Unbelievable. My hand to God, man. And so when he, uh, when he came out of that interrogation room, he quickly uh, selected my brother and my friend who were you know, in the, the adult county jail, I was in the juvenile. And uh, it took uh, seven days thereafter when they wrote me, just wrote me into the story completely as being one of the uh, uh, wow. predecessors in the, uh, in the case. Um, so now, baffled, confused, afraid, you name it. All these things is going on now because I had two trials. Unlike... My brother. Kwame, can I can I just interject real quick? I, can you paint a picture what it's like the first time the police show up at your and your brother's door and, and oh what God. that was like for for you and for your family? So so I'm glad you said that. I, I, I apologize, too, because actually that's how they arrested me. Um, six, maybe five thirty in the morning. You hear this loud boom. Cops kicking the door in. My brother and my friend was there playing chess. As that was our thing was chess. We played chess, man, maybe since I was nine years old. Wow. You know? and, and we played all the time, you know. And uh, so so when they kicked the door in, you know, they, they you know, they ain't moving nothing. They they got them, swoop them up. But you know, they do their thing with the guns all through the house. Right. And so they so they shook me woke because I was in the bedroom asleep. 
And when they shook me woke and I come to my conscious mind and realized that uh, these cops was in here with all these guns, I thought about my mother in her bedroom. Uh, my mother, all of my life had been suffering from uh, congestive heart failure, which would eventually take her life. But uh, at that at that particular time, you know, it was just in my conscious mind that, mm. hey, man, they, they could make her have a heart attack, but scare her, you know. And so I just bolted past the cops like they weren't even there, you know. And uh, and them cats chased me to the bedroom, you know. But I wanted to see what was going on with my mother, you know. Right. And uh, by that time, they had tackled me and, you know. And so they arrested me for obstructing justice, you know. But I was trying to see what the hell was going on with my mother and them guns, you know. Because yep. I know that old lady, I don't even damn what wasn't doing nothing. You know what I'm saying? Uh-huh. And mm. so, uh, so that's how I, I actually got arrested. And uh, so I don't know what's going on at the particular time. You know, I have no idea. And I'm just 17 years old. So they throw me in the back of the car and we're driving. And the cop says to me, you know, well, you can give it up, nigga. You know? Oh, my. That's exactly what he said, you know? And uh, I still don't get it, you know? We get downtown, they realize I'm 17, so they got to bring me back uptown to the juvenile detention center. And that's mm -hmm. when I realized, they tell me, you know, why I was there, you know, because I was having a fit, you know. And uh, the reason why I was having a fit, because I was 17, and I wanted to see my mother, you know right, what I'm saying? Right, right. And, uh, and I was just having a fit. So they told me what the charges were against my brother and, and my friend, Ricky. Uh, because at that particular time, again... I was only there because I ran and got all up in between the cops. You know what I'm saying? Uh -huh. And um, and so it would take seven days. I stayed in that juvenile detention home seven days, man. And uh, so then they came back with uh, the indictment against me and uh, made me uh, the third person in this robbery homicide. Yeah. Wow. Why do you think yeah. they were so motivated to coerce uh, Vernon into implicating y'all in, in, in this? So they had no other know, leads, uh, or, or what? What was that? So, um, I, uh, I, I didn't have uh, a whole lot of uh, legal knowledge uh, at that particular time, but I, I was very socially conscious, you know. Uh, especially mm -hmm. since I'm living in a city that just uh, went through two racial disturbances back to back, you know, right. six and sixty-eight. So the year was 75, 1970, Kent State. You know, yep. uh -huh. um, so, you know, right around right there in Cleveland, man, it was a cesspool of of um, hard on crime, uh, soft on uh, development, you know. Mm -hmm. And so uh, this is why the ghettos was getting so bigger and uh, the prison population as well. Mm. And, and so, you know, I understood that much, but never in, in a million years did I understand understand what could possibly be happening to me in my life because I was just a boy, a kid, you know? Yep. And, uh, you know, the worst thing I ever did, you know, was have three girls at one time. You know, <laughs> the worst thing I did was three girlfriends. You know? Yeah, you definitely deserved what you got there. That's the case, you know? man. That's the yeah. one. death row for that. Yeah. Right? So, so, yes. uh, so, man, I'm telling you, it was just awesome. You dig? And uh, the uh, metamorphosis uh, that uh, a human being is is um, is uh, required to go through in life comes natural, you know. Right. Um, 
it's the story of the Sphinx, you know, yeah. what goes on, on uh, what, four in the morning, three in the afternoon, you know, is, is a man, you know, you come out crawling, you, you stand up walking, and, and if you're lucky, you keep going, but, and, you know, but sometimes you get weak and you got to get the stick. So the metamorphosis of, of human development comes natural. Next time, too. However, however, once it is predicated against someone being uh, subjugated in, in the most horrific ways of human possibilities, and that, my friend, is to be segregated, cut off from society, put into isolation. And mm. this is exactly what happens once a person, regardless of guilt or innocence, is sentenced to die. They become wow. segregated. They become isolated. They put them into a cell. The prison sentence itself is a punishment. You understand? Yes, yes. Mm. Can I have you just take a step back? Because for me, and it, this is really interesting, the innate development that we go through as human beings, as men, and the growth exactly. of our wisdom as it relates to the natural flow of human existence and experience is profound. Now, all of a sudden, you're 17 years old. You're sitting at probably with a court-appointed attorney. You're next to your brother and Mr. Jackson. And all of a sudden, the public defender... And, you know, which you have no, had no access to their case, no access to what's going on. You probably don't know. All of a sudden, they're going for the death penalty on you. Can you explain a little bit about that process and the trial itself for our listeners? So, um, in, in my particular case, it was a death penalty case going in. Wow. Uh, going in. They, they, yeah, they didn't. Uh, they when, when I got... When I got bonded over from juvenile court to, to the county uh, courthouse, I was going to, to uh, a trial death penalty defense. Um, the, uh, yeah, true enough, uh, I was given uh, two uh, public pretenders. Um, yep. one, one was a habitual drunk, and, and the other one was his, uh, his soft nemesis. Oh, no. Okay? And so... Hmm. Uh, and so I was, I was, um, I tell you, man, um, you know, looking back, it gets funny. Uh, it's so ridiculous. It gets funny. Um, we in, we in court. So, you know, and I realized I got these got two guys, which in the book that I got coming out, I call them heckle and Jekyll. Right? <laughs> <laughs> and appropriate, appropriate. Mm. <laughs> you dig. But, you know, when I realized that these guys are who they are, you know, and, and they're not pretending these dudes is really messed up. You know, then then you got to think of all the like I said before, how you become disenfranchised in, in these rural communities, you know, and you realize that it's a sociological, ecological thing. Right. Absolutely. And, 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 you know, yeah. Because this judge, you know, he appointed these these lawyers to me, he know, these guys, you know, what I'm saying so. I'm, I'm, there goes the metamorphosis. Now he's busting. You dig? Because this brain is now got to to foresee, it's got to absorb, and it's got to contemplate things, man, that has never run through my mind before. And I'm just 17 years old sitting wow. in this court with Heckle mm -hmm. and Jekyll, right? And uh, and so this is like I say, it gets it's so ridiculous. It gets funny. You know, because uh, there were there were moments when you know I did my Perry Mason thing. You know, I hunt Heckle. 
I said, hey, man, did you see it? You're supposed to at least stand up and rub your damn shirt, you know, the front of your collar, like Perry Mason used to do. The, the judge know that means I object. This is crazy, you know? Right. And uh, he hunts me back, you know, oh, let's wait and see the outcome of what, what he's saying. You know, what the hell you mean? Let's, he's saying he's trying to muck me around, you know what I'm right, saying? Right, right. Huh. But I'm just 17, and I can't really put this into a, a, a verbal oculation, you dig? So, right. therefore, you know, I, I'm, I'm muffled there, too. I'm muffled in my mouth. You dig? I'm, I'm muffled. Only where I'm not uh, trapped is in my heart. My heart is busting. You know what I'm saying? Because Superman want to come out, man, and save the world, but I can't because I don't know what to do. You see? Right. And this is what's mm. so powerful about ignorance and the ability to uh, transform from being ignorant into someone who now has ascertained not only the knowledge and the know-how, but the physical. You see, the right. physical of, of all of this. And so, and you know, and, and in there, I sit there, man, and, and like I said, it just got so crazy where at one point they were doing pretty good, I thought. They had the young boy on the, on the, on the stand, and uh, they you know they had twisted him all around this show that he just hadn't made all this up. And bam, the judge said, wait a minute, wait a minute, hold it. The judge turned to the jury. He said, ladies and gentlemen, I swear to God, I got the transcript, man. I'll mail it to you, show you. He said, ladies and gentlemen. Just because this young man don't know up from down, can't say left from right, he's too young to, to articulate his words proper, doesn't mean that he's lying. And then he pointed to me and said, when he says this man is guilty. Now, what? in my 17 oh, years old mind, in my childish mind, I knew that I had just been muffed up real bad, right? Right. I knew that. And I knew that, again, heckle. And Jekyll was the one that would be so drunk that he would be sleeping half the time. You had to wake him up. Oh, you know? my God. But I knew I knew that these two cats wasn't going to stand up for me, man. You know, and so and that was the only time in my whole court thing that I made the outburst, you know. And, and I said, man, that's bullshit, you know. Yeah. And uh, of course, you know, shut up, you know, yeah, you know, sit down, you know. Right. And, and they went right on, you know, and in the end, they found me guilty and sentenced me to die. You know, can you oh, talk about that sentencing right there and what that must what that felt like? So so when this guy, he he, he uh, again, he uh, really abused the fact that he was sitting on the throne, you know, yep. and um, and this guy mm -hmm. had me stand up, you know, uh, at that particular time. I changed my name legally. My name uh, was I was born Ronnie Patrick Bridgman. Mm -hmm. I changed it to Kwame Kamau Ajamu. And this is a part of the, the story that, that you really want, to, you know, to, to never quit. But anyway, right. um, uh, and I'll get to that. Um, so, I so, we'll be know. here waiting, bro. <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll take your time, man. <laughs> this is riveting. So, so this guy, this guy, he got those ice water cold blue eyes, you know. Mm -hmm. And he looks at me and he says, uh, he says, uh, stand up, Bridgman, you know. So I stands up, you know, uh, reluctantly I stood up because I, I, you know, you can feel when, 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 you know, that stuff is coming your way, right. you know, and uh, so I stand up, you know, but I don't slouch and all that. I'm proper, you know, I stand up, you know, because I've always been a fair guy. That's me. You know, if I did it, I did it. Come on with it. You know, if I didn't, do not charge me with that. That's just me and we're going to fight till I die. Right. And, but, uh, so I stood up, you know, and he said, uh, he said, yeah. On so now they broke the indictment up into aggravated murder, attempted murder. The, the uh, proprietor of the store got shot in her neck and uh, and then aggravated robbery for taking the monies. Right. So he says uh, on the uh, count of uh, 
aggravated robbery, I sentence you to seven to 25 years. Sit down, you know. And uh, and so, uh, so I sit down, you know, stand up. I said, look here, fuck you. Wow. Whatever you're going to do, you do it, you know. But we're not going to play that. You you do me like this. Mm. You're not going to do that, you know. Not only are you taking my freedom away and my life away, you can't. I'm not going to let gonna you berate me. Dignity. Yeah, you're right. taking my damn dignity, man. Can't let and, that happen. Uh, and, and hmm. So he looked at me and he said, well, all right. I sentence you to die in the electric chair on October the 8th, you know, which wow. was my birthday is October 25th. No way. <laughs> Yeah, Jesus. he sends me to die, sent me to the to the death house all before I turned eighteen. I was still seventeen. Yeah, I'm gonna look this cow. judge up. Yeah, his, his name was John L. Angelotta. He's uh, no longer here. Angelotta. Wow. John L. Angelotta. Yeah. And yeah. all right, so you get the verdict that you're going to the to the to death row. You're gonna you're sentenced to death before your 18th birthday. They come, they grab you. What tell us the next process and 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 because obviously you you understand the the greatest thing right now in our listeners our minds are like holy cow what happened once he got behind those closed doors for so long exactly so yeah so so I got the sentence and uh, immediately. Uh, a handful of, I can't even count the deputies. And, you know, normally it's one or two. But uh, immediately a hand, oh, I guess everyone in the courtroom came up and, uh, you know, wanted to grab me. But they saw that I wasn't resisting or nothing. So, you know, they put the handcuffs on me. And um, and so we walked out through the back. You know, I, I looked over, winked at my mom and my sister. And uh, and so we, uh, we walked out. And uh, but when we got on the other side, of the uh, of the courtroom door, you know, going into the hall, the corridor leading to you know to the jail and all that. Uh, yeah, the situation changed. Changed. Uh, I was no longer free, of course. I was under their jurisdiction, and uh, and so, but uh, it changed to a way that I didn't expect it to change. Mm-hmm. Uh, first of all, the uh, the deputy that was with me, I'd say, uh, and I remember I'm just 17, I'd say he was maybe my age then, which I'm 60 years old. So he was a good 59 to 62 years old. And, uh, and he took the cuffs off me, you know? And uh, he said, uh, come on, baby. You know, we, we got to go back up in here. Wow. You know, and I, I never I never forget it. I didn't know his name, and I'm just a white guy, you know? I, I never forget that guy and, and and like that that role with me. That was a part of the riding with me all all to now. Wow. You know, was him doing that. Empathy. Yeah, right. He showed me pure love. Oh, yeah. You know, and uh what no, get your ass and you know, what none of that. He took the cuffs off and, and he realized that he had a child and he said, Come on, baby, we gotta go back up in here. Wow. You know? And, uh, and, you know, we walked on back up in there to the process, you know? And, and so, but when I got all the way into the county jail, so now that's a different matter. Uh, you know, the county jail is a county jail, which in the city of Cleveland, uh, it's still to this day is the training, uh, <laughs> camp for the penitentiary. Oh, wow. You know? Uh, yeah. Uh, so, uh, you know, I learned, uh, real quick, uh, about two for ones and, and uh, in, in the event that you or your listeners don't know what two for ones is, never ask anyone for anything because it comes back 
twice what you got from them. Okay. Wow. <laughs> just mm. it's the rule. Oh, yeah. I would, yeah, if it's one cookie, he wants two of them back when you when it's time to pay him back. You know? Right. So, right. So I know that, you know, lunchtime, this guy comes by and want these cookies, you know. I said, yeah, you know, he gave them to me and I ate them, you know. And uh, he didn't know that I was pretty nice with my, my hands, though. And, uh, so, <laughs> Thank God. Yeah, so he would come. Yeah, luckily. And so he would come back and, uh, you know, try to hold the bully thing on the two for one. I said, two? I said, hey, yo, they gave me one damn cookie, you know. Oh, you know, you know. And uh, But it ended up with, uh, you know, him being sorry that he tried that with me. <laughs> wow. You know, which, which would save me, you know, through prison. I, I uh I learned how to horn. I was already good. Muhammad Ali was the other uh, superhero of mine, you know. Mm. So right. I, I mm. had him in my head, you know, all my life anyway. So I was lightning fast, and you know, so I just horned him with some really nice guys uh, uh, while I was in there, you know. Terrell, uh, 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 which was Muhammad Ali's sparring partner, uh, Henry wow. Terrell. Wow. Uh, Henry Terrell did six years in the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility, and I was there with him. Uh, for the last two years, I got off death row and met him. And, uh, man, this dude was unbelievable. But I, I learned a lot of things, you know, boxing-wise right. from him. Right. That's so, cool. So what yeah. were... As That's your, the way Dewey got through prison, too, was boxing. Boxing, yep. Yeah. Mm -hmm. What yeah. What was... So you're incarcerated. You're, 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 you're in there. How soon did they... Before they took you to death row, what was that like going on death row being a part of death row and just difference kind of between, the difference between that the difference and between, regular. They've never seen the row, right? It's not that people can go in there and just visit that at any given time. So there people can't understand the difference between the <laughs> you, you do somehow you like me. I love y'all, man. Y'all be asking the type of questions that I really need because it helps me informational wise. Right. So, so, so mm -hmm. now check this out. If it's a way I'm a check too. Because uh, we're going to stay in touch. We're friends now. We're brothers. Right? Amen. So, Amen. So if it's the oh, way. Yeah, we got you. We got you now. <laughs> we're, we're together forever, bro. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, uh, I cut a video. I cut a video uh, actually to that point. Right. Uh, the video that I cut was, is, of course, anti-death penalty. But mm -hmm. uh, it talks exactly explains. I mean, perfect. Just the question you asked me. But since you ain't got the video, I'm going to tell you. Right. Awesome. So. Here's what happens. Uh, and this is really something too, man. Uh, hold up, this thing popping up here. Um, so you get on, you get you, immediately, I'm sorry, the sentence, you go back to the county. If it's not the weekend, you're gone the next day. If, wow. If it, mm -hmm. Yeah, if it's not Friday, you know, yeah, you're definitely gone the next day. So uh, immediately I got, I rolled out, and that's like a four, four hour drive, you know, from the county jail way out there to the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility at Lucasville. Known better known as the Lazy L, right? Mm -hmm. And uh, uh, so we got there. They pull us around in the back to this huge, huge, to me, uh, warehouse garage type. But actually, it's a unit for the death house. Mm -hmm. And uh, we drive up in there and everything, right? And so when we get out, it's just me. I'm the only person coming to death row, you know, and right. they didn't have nobody else coming to the penitentiary. So it's just me. All of the goon squad of that ship, the second ship, which was um, 11. They have 11 man goon squad counting the captain. So it's 12 of them, 11 under him. Mm -hmm. uh, his whole goon squad was there. 
Captain John Whitney. He reminded me of the penguin on Batman. <laughs> he, waddled, he waddled just like that. He had a cigar. He had a cigar in his mouth. A lot of guys got beat up because they didn't say, hey, man, Joe Lewis dead. You know. You know <laughs> so, so, but anyway, him and his goon squad, they damn waiting on us to come, right? We the, 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 the bus pull in. I get out. I got on the shackles, the belly chains, the whole nine yards, you know. Freezing cold. So they take this shit off of me. They all form a circle around you. This is their this is their routine. And uh they give you the you're no longer in uh wherever the fuck you come from. Right. You in the Southern Ohio Correctional Facility. This is my facility. We will kill you down here before the state will. We will murder your ass. We will take you outside. Because they were run by the Klan. Right. He said Take your ass outside and hang you and fuck you. That's exactly what he said. Oh, my. Then, now strip. Who going to argue, right? So, bam, I got naked, you know. So they did to look up my butt thing and the cough and all that. Follow me. Walk me all the way. Now, the death row at that particular time only consisted of 12 cells. That's how small it was in 1975 in people. It was only 12 cells, right? Mm -hmm. About to move. I would be the last person uh, that would end up on this before we moved into bigger sales. But anyway, sale nine, I'll never forget it. You know, this is where you're going, but we kept walking to sale 12, which was where actually where they housed the electric chair. Wow. Step in, the door closed behind you. You know, this is, uh, you know, their intimidation, no doubt. And mm -hmm. it's working. It's working like hell. And I'm just 17, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I'm looking at this thing, man, you know, and it's really crafted really, really nice. You know, I mean, unbelievably, <laughs> right? It's crazy. That's, like, man, that's, that's very nice work. That's the bad part about the leather on it is just like, wow, you know, like, oh, you're going to get a soft ride. You know what I'm saying? Um, but you can't make light of it, you know, and so I turn around to this dude, you know, and I say, hey, man, you know, that's going, that's your hot date, you know, yeah. I want you to meet Miss, Miss Thunderbolt, uh, Uncle Firecracker. They call it all kind of stuff, you know? And so you get your two-minute tour of the death house. They bring it back and put you in the cell. And you're in that cell for the next however many years, 24-7. Wow. Jeez. Wow. Yeah. That's, uh, Kwame, that, that's intense, man. Can, can you talk about the feeling when you went past the day, the first day you were supposed to be executed? And was there some... When did the trigger of hope start? When did the trigger of man, I, I've, I'm gonna make it. I can, I can figure this out. I can. There's, I've got what it takes to endure this. When did that start to come to fruition? And 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 can you describe that? So, so this is something that uh, naturally kicks in. Uh, like your endorphins, uh, you know, those those pain markers that come, you know, if you fall and, and hit your knee or something while you're running and jumping, you know, you get up and you keep going. Uh, this naturally comes, like I was telling you about the, the evolution of, of your natural process anyway, um, to, to defend yourself, you know. Uh, but but now these circumstances are magnified tenfold because A, you're innocent, B, you're unknowing of the, the, the circumstances around you, and C, but really is before A, is the fact that you're just a kid, right. you know, just a kid. So, so um, you know, 
if you think about it, young youngsters, kids, they they try to to eliminate circumstances almost immediately. Right. You know? But the mm-hmm. thing is, is that is that their small mentalities don't have the the the, the mental worth oh. to to supersede sometimes sure, the illusionary mm-hmm. tricks that are played upon this child. This is how mm-hmm. how um, uh, child uh, slavery and trafficking. Uh, so you know because they it's so easy to allure or elusify a child's mind. You know mm-hmm. they may think they sharp, but ten minutes you know, oh, man, it's a kid. You know, and you're not to walk right past them. Oh, at seventeen years old, you think you're the toughest thing on the planet. I mean, we're just kind of turning into men. Dad doesn't know anything or what. I mean, you're just trying to earn your right. own place among the other guys around us. Let me tell you something, so, man. Them doors shut behind you, and those grown ass men start screaming at you and telling you that's the end of everything. You kind of Especially with the yeah, uniform you know, staring at you, you're like this terrifying, man. This ain't no no getting caught in the in the bathroom, uh shooting dice or smoking smoking, you know. Right. This is mm-hmm. some serious stuff right here because they they uh they, they mean to kill me. You know. Yeah. And they mean to kill me for something that I absolutely positively have nothing to do with, you know. So it's alarming and it's frightening at the very same time. And uh yeah, I was uh I was petrified. And so today I just just not to leave that, you know, but just to tell you how magnified that that terror was. Today I even I even teach the practice of how terror had had entered into the the mortal being of of my entire soul back then, okay? Wow. So today today I talk about that. And so now so I'm 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 petrified. I'm terrified. I don't know, you know, I'm pissed my pants, everything. I don't know I don't have a way out of this box, man, right? So mm-hmm. as a human being, you start to lose your grip with the reality wow. if you're not if you're not uh, uh, grafted to be strong. We're grafted individuals, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, from the parents, from the parents, from the parents, from the creator, right? So if you're not grafted to be uh, this elephant that, that walks the tightrope, if, 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 you, if you're not the tiger that can jump up in that tree just at one bound, you know, then surely, you know, uh, uh, the uh, post-traumatic stress syndrome will, will, it's got you anyway, it's on us all, but surely it will manifest in a way that now it's beyond even your comprehension. Exactly. You see, and so, and so that's the, that's the part of my brother. That's, that's the part of my brother that, that fueled me. All right. Mm -hmm. So, so, but as it is, um, I'm just 17. I'm just a kid. All this stuff is going on. Uh, my brother is like four or five cells away, I think. Ricky, my friend, he's like six or seven cells. We're all on the same death row, but we're, we're still apart, separated uh, by these cells and the fact that we can't come out of these cells. And uh, and so what what manifests then inside of me was this this uh, this charger, man, was this this super ultra being that um, just wanted to survive. And um, as awesome as it was uh, in reality, you know, for others seeing this, uh, it was it was a small thing for me, but mm-hmm. I'm the kid brother, but yet, you know, I was trying to bend them bars to save my older brother. You see, to go so, down it, there. So it wasn't, a, you switched it in your mind, it wasn't about you, it was about saving your brother and Mr. Jackson? I have did my entire prison uh, uh, sentence 
28 years of my life, and it was never about me. Whoa. Wow. It was never about me. This is why I'm going to blow your mind when we, oh. as we go on. Right. So, so yeah, so, you know, so this is, this is what, uh, what made that barrier to where the hurt, the pain, the losses, all that, but it only could go so far because I had a check place for it because of my brother and my good friend, you see? Right. And so, and so you asked me about books, man, I've read from way back. Ruth Benedict wrote a great book called The Racist. You should check it out. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, Terry Mayfair. Uh, I've, I've written books that, that people would like, who is that? You know, <laughs> but, you, know huh. you know, but, but this, this was all a part of the, the mental, the spiritual and the psychological metamorphosis that entailed uh, the growth in me. And, and the mere fact that that I was beginning to recognize this was was a wholly untruth to me, too, because um, and these things come when you begin to question just who you are, why you are and for what the R is happening into and around you. Amen. You see that 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 makes God the devil. They're no longer your adversary or, or your, your, your structure of hope. They become a value of circumstance and incompetence. You want to know, you know, dude, you know, if you really truly run the world, you know, how can you exist and allow these things to happen? Not only to me, but those starving children, those blind kids, those crippled people, you know, just on and on and on. And, and, and you, my man, if you run in the world like you truly are, then come on in and, and make this shit happen because I'm tired of this here, right? Right. And so, and so, and then, and then the other part kicks in, which is your supernatural being. Wow. You see? And that's when you realize that maybe a whole lot of this stuff I'm reading is just what I'm, it's just that I'm reading mm -hmm. because somebody wrote it. It's like I wrote a book. Right. See? And so, and so, and now, now I make you bag up a little bit. Make you pull back and you see things now with a broader perspective. And, and now you, you, you can see where, like I was telling you earlier, what a judge selected to prosecute. Right. You see? And the police work for mm. the prosecutor. Right. You can see, you can see where, where this go with that and that go with this. And thus it helps mm. you understand the why. Now you just got to get to the how the hell am I going to get out of this here? How long did that take, Kwame? How long before you had that existential perception shift, right? Where you're like, whoa. And now you saw the, the not even the uh, playing field, the, 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 the battlefield of your salvation, right? The battlefield that, man, here is what, I have to work with. These are the tactics that are in play that, that's that they believe they defeated. But now I'm going to begin to understand and learn how to operationally control this battlefield. How long did that process talk? How old were you when you're like, uh, -uh done. You, you, you ask great questions. Thank uh, you. I appreciate that. Um, I was, uh, Going on 21, actually, um, it would be, I was going on 20 because it would be right before getting off of death row, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, 1977. Uh, my brother had went back. He uh, had won a, a new trial. Wow. And, and mm -hmm. uh, but now I want to interject and just put a thought out there for you right now and for your audience mm -hmm. so that you understand where I'm going with this. Uh, 
I was uh, 17, my brother was 20, and my friend in the middle was 17 turning 18. This is about nine months older than me. Um, mm -hmm. Psychologically, there's uh, a host um, that, that uh, attacks the human body, uh, paranoid schizophrenia, and it starts in your early 20s. It right. manifests. You got me? You yep. with me now? Check. So, so my brother at 20 goes back to, to court. He's won a new trial. The onset of this horrific disease is coming about, but, you know, no one knows it. And uh, in this new trial, they find him guilty the exact same way, and they sentence him to death row the exact same way. Hmm. Now, with the, uh, the uh, onset of paranoid schizophrenia, the, the depression, and the fact that his mind is probably running 10,000 miles a minute— it, it kind of agitated it. And so by the time he rolled back to prison, he was into letter and note writing to me, which were very, very, very hurtful uh, letters because um, he had taken on the understanding that the mob had set us all up and that if he would do such things as burn his arms or castrate himself, it would eliminate the case and all of us would be free. Wow. So. Wow. So right there, right there. And and in the meantime, we're getting close to the Sandra Lockett decision, 1978, to get us all off death row. Right. So so right there is when um wrestling with uh my particular uh my particulars uh became uh non-involved. And um, uh, you know, because I'm realizing that here is a greater dilemma for the both of us and, mm -hmm. and it's, it's mental health. Right. And so, and so, and that's when I growed up, man. That's when, uh, that day when I, when I read one of those, those, one of those letters that was just so hurtful, you know, and I knew that my brother had, uh, was no longer, uh, in touch with reality mm -hmm. in the way it should be. And that, uh, you know, here's, uh, I began to study. And, I, you know, now the mind, the brain, uh, uh, psychotropics, medicines, uh, he would spend years on these drugs. And uh, so much so that they I had to give him an antidote wow. for, wow. for the drugs because of the side effects. Did that? So, you know, Kwame, did, I was going to ask you a question about um, before you even started talking about Wiley, your brother. Uh -huh. What, you know, the process of, was there any difference between the mindset of you three going through this together? You know, you were talking about the evolution of, of you adjusting to this and finding a purpose in supporting your brother. Um, we know now, you just explained what happened with Wiley. What was going on with Ricky? Um, did you guys, did he go through a similar shift in mindset or adjusting to being incarcerated, coming to deal with the fact that he was on death row? Did you guys lean on each other through this? Um, what was going on with that? Exactly. Exactly. Um, we, we took a little boy's pat, you know, and, uh, and, it, and we stick with it all the way to now, you know, which is that uh, no matter what, you know, we came together, we leaving together, you know, uh, leave no man behind. Mm -hmm. and, uh, Very I was, cool. I, you know, but... Um, so even even with the the correspondence or how we wrote, you know, uh, you know, if if uh, for instance, um, the way that we we did the legal procedures, uh, you know, uh, was 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 
you know, everything. We just was always together. And, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, again, in my mind, because um, I became uh, distanced from my own circumstances, uh, not so much so that I didn't, you know, worry about they could eventually kill me or I didn't want to stay in here forever, forever. But uh, to the point to where, you know, I just, like I said, was concerned for their uh, behest more so than my own. And uh, and so Ricky was also a concern because he didn't have a brother, you know, which I'm glad, you know, on death row with him, mm-hmm. you know. And so, uh, you know, I'm very glad that, you know, uh, his brother Larry mm-hmm. wasn't hooked up in that too, you know, something right. like that. But, uh, you know, Ricky was always a concentrated thought uh, simply because, uh, you know, if you just look about at it like that, you know, it's easy to have. And they tried even in the court system, you know, to pit, you know, us against him, him against us. Sure. But the mere fact that how we come up together and, and the way we were both raised in the two families, so similar of uh, unity, unity that, uh, you know, it just wasn't going for that stuff, you know. And, uh, you know, they couldn't tell us. Ricky said something during the court procedure. They couldn't tell Ricky we said something. You know, we just know better, you know. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so that was also a very good um, uh, social and mental magnet for a spiritual magnet uh, for us. The fact that, you know, we had close knitness prior to because we wasn't just just three guys that messed around every now and then. And so when we got mm-hmm. in jail, we went our certain ways, you know. We were we were guys that actually uh, I his, his sister was my girlfriend in fact wow. you know so so we had we had really close history you know um, mm-hmm. um, you know Ricky was my brother you know as well that that's that's mm-hmm. a beautiful aspect that I I think you know some people they don't have when they're incarcerated they're really isolated and I and I just find it fascinating that you were always able to lean on that you know, no brother left behind. Right. And, and it's something that we, we hold dear in our community as well, too. Tell me, tell us now, our listeners, you have this shift, this landmark case happens, but your awakening has begun. Mm -hmm. When did you first start to say, feel a sense of man, we we're getting some momentum, some momentum, I, I'm understanding how this whole thing is going to work and how I'm, we're going to shift this. What happened in all that uh, for you to begin to say, all right, I, 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 this fight, we're, we're gonna, we potentially are going to win this fight. So um, we had to shake Lucasville. Lucasville was out the question. Uh, if you know anything about the history of Lucasville, they would end up, uh, having the, the the big riot down there, I think it was 94, 93 something. But um, so I had to get out of Lucasville. And, and I knew that because uh, just just a brief statement here about that institution. Um, Lucasville was such that they only allowed telephone calls once a year during the month of, of December, Christmas time for five minutes. Oh, miss, wow. miss it or make it. You know, if you dial the number and it's busy, you hang up. So you got three minutes. You dial, it's busy, you hang up, you got two minutes, you know, like that. So uh, you had, there was nothing happening in Lucasville. You had to get out of Lucasville um, by way of uh, having security uh, levels lowered, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and so that happened in a mass thing. Uh, uh, the, the Columbus came in and they say, man, y'all holding guys down here that should have been out of here into these lower joints. 
just so happened that myself, my brother and Ricky were, uh, well, myself and Ricky, my brother was still being held under the uh, psychological things. In, in, okay. Mm -hmm. so, so I had to get out of Lucasville. 1984, I went to Lima Correctional Institution, Lima, Ohio, mm -hmm. which at that time was being transferred over from having been the state territorial mental institution. Wow. <laughs> you know, hmm. so and what happened there was in court before they would sen sentence you, it was and, and this was all um, uh, robberies, rapes, murders, those cases. They would send you to Lima from anywhere from 30, to 30 days to 90 days, and you would be psychologically evaluated for your sentencing. They send you back to the joint, then you get sentenced. Well, they bust that up, turn it into a, a prison. I get the privilege of coming down there on the second load that still had maybe 500 uh, statewide certified crazies in it, right? Oh, wow. But but the good thing about it was that there was some guys that was sharp as me or sharper in terms of wanting something uh, 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 conducive in the institution. And uh, and so we got together, man, and uh, we went to the guy that whose job it was to evaluate who now didn't have a job because you know, no more crazies. And uh, we told him that, that we would like to have school, turn the institution into learning. And it took us about eight, nine months, just under a year, but uh, we did. And, and so wow. here is, and so here's where your boy stuff starts rolling his way, and it, uh, it showing up, showing up happens. So we actually had to get them to solicit someone to put the the Ohio University, uh, Finley University. We had to get that in there. You know, mm -hmm. and then they had to find locals to do the, the GED and the ABE levels. Right. Luckily, mm -hmm. the guy that I'm talking about, his wife had just like him, a minor in education. And again, this is where your boy take off. So since I was the founder of this organization, mm -hmm. this <laughs> this move to put school in here. Right. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a life sentence. And, and all I'm trying to do is figure out how to get out so I can save my brother and, and Ricky. Why not put a culinary arts school in here, which I do have a degree in, fellas? Wow. Uh, so, that, so, that, awesome. so that I'm doing time. I might as well eat good. Genius. Genius, I tell you. I also get to eat well. I, genius. Everybody went for that. I was going to say, everybody be on board with that. <laughs> but they didn't see it like I saw. You know, they saw it as, yeah, it's good vocation, yeah. You know, so, but we would build off of that and uh, and go on to, I would be the administrative clerk for uh, 16 years. And uh, in that time, uh, as guys would, would come into prison, I would I would read their, their status. If they couldn't read, uh, didn't have a language status over, 1.9, which is a newspaper, the mm -hmm. average newspaper, um, I would make them go to school. And I've actually had a couple physical fights with guys wow. that did not want to go to school, you know, the embarrassment or whatever. But I would send them a pass, they wouldn't go. I'd send them a pass, they wouldn't go. I'd send them a pass. You know, and finally, we'd meet, we'd find, who the hell do you think you are? You know, uh, you know, but the reason why I was doing this was mm -hmm. because I was innocent. And these guys were guilty and they needed help. Right. And, you know, as much as I was doing what I was doing for my brother and my friend, 
man, I got at least six to seven hundred men that have graduated with honors. Wow. All the way to master's degrees, you know. And that, then that. and then no no. And then I put the NAACP in the prison system. Wow. Had that ever happened before? Not in the state of Ohio. You know, in the midst of the darkest place that any human can, being can be, which is incarcerated, right? Yeah. It, it, you know, and wrongfully incarcerated, which, which would break most human beings, you were able to not only you know, perpetuate your faith and, and, and be in freeing yourself as whether your brother, but also to give people a second chance through not being through education, right. Through developing their minds to have greater perspective that they can begin to explore the possibilities outside of those walls mentally. Right. And hopefully for many of them, you know, they actually were released and uh, got to pursue these dreams. I mean, that right there is, you know, that's the stuff of, of legends uh, in in my mind. Can we all get the, the, the pressure that's mounts every day of being in a situation like that, knowing you're not supposed to be, it's almost, almost like forging a diamond is what is, I mean, they throw you in there and squeeze you harder and harder. And then you can either break and become nothing. Or you just cocoon up and let the pressure keep building and building and building. And then that, that point in time where you turned it around and started not letting the time do you, but you're doing the time and consuming your mind. It's basically like when you step into prison, you can step into your mind and keep pushing forward through all that and learn as much as you can and helping all the, all them guys that you did while, while you're in there, man, that, that speaks volumes to, His to your character, character everything, everything, his purpose. Why am I here? What is my purpose? Where, what happened next? What happened next? I'm dying to hear how, how that evolved into your, your parole and then your pursuit to, to get yourself you know, adjudicated and you're, you're ultimately your brother and Ricky freed. So, so like I said, now by this time, the, the Lima experience, I, um, I'm, I'm great with everything in terms of, uh, I know where I'm at. I know what I want to do. I just, I just got to still figure out how to get out of prison. And that seems that everything I'm doing is working because it's starting to give me a little leeway. And, um, you know, I come from, mm-hmm. Super max with death row, you know, to now minimum two, you know, so uh, it's it's kind of working, you know. And, <laughs> You're making progress, baby steps, right? <laughs> so, so, but now the metamorphosis takes on another another hump because it's 1990, and I go to parole board. They give me five years. Now remember, this is Ronnie Patrick Bridge. So so now sit back. You're gonna love this. So, so I go to parole board, uh, 1990, it gave me five years. And I said, dang, man, you know, my mom was kind of hoping, uh, after 15 years, I was going to come home, you know, and, uh, it's a Friday right around four, four 30. I was one of the last guys coming back from the parole board. So everything was closing down. So I said in my mind, well, I ain't going to call the old lady. I wait till after the weekend, Monday, Tuesday, because it's, you know, it's hard. It's going to be heartbreaking for, you know, so Mm -hmm. I let at least, you know, get the weekend in, you know. But it never came to be because she passed away that night. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, well. So, so, but now 
I'm at the crossroads and this was the source of my whole support system right there. She's gone. Right? Wow. So, um, you know, uh, you'll, you'll learn as we go forward, brothers, that I'm, I, I don't think sitting down if, you know, I don't think moving, I, I think all the time, you know, yeah. and, uh, and even in the worst times I'm thinking. And so, and so I said to myself, well, you know, I, I went through all this, my mother had to walk. She was a real devoted to the church. Give her money. I used to say, stop giving your money to them people. <laughs> type of woman, you know. Yeah. But she had to walk to and for that church in shame. You see, to the day she mm-hmm. died for something that was not true. Mm-hmm. Right. So, you know, most of my most of my going forward is based on that for her. But, um, but you know, I say, you know, what I'm going to do and... Uh, you know, some people might say it was hard, but I decided to kill that existence right with her. Really? And Yeah. And so my name is not something that's haphazard. It didn't come from religion. Didn't, it came from the mere fact that my mother died on a Friday before I could tell her that I got five years in the parole. Right? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so Kwame Fellas, which is a legal name, means born on Saturday. Wow. Hmm? Beautiful. Okay. That's profound. And so the more the more and the more you listen to me, you, you haven't heard the middle name is uh, is Kamau. And Kamau means silent warrior. Wow. And uh and just knowing me the, the few minutes you know me now, Ajamu means he fights for what he wants. Amen. You see? So mm-hmm. in in death came the birth of who you're talking to now. Wow. Kwame Kamau Ajamu at your service. Well, th- well, first of all, thank you so much for sharing the definition. I'm sure every one of our listeners was, was wondering where that came from. So when... Now that you've been born again, which and I and I love the connotation, that image that you just painted. Um, let's talk about being getting your parole, having that freedom open, and from that moment to where uh, that now elderly man, uh, Mr. Vernon, on his deathbed comes clean and admits that he lied. All those years ago, can you sh- can you share with our listeners that 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 righteous path of 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 freedom? Ooh man! So, kind of making me shake a little bit on that one, brother. <laughs> so, uh, so it happened uh, January twenty second, two thousand and three. The doors opened and I was released. Wow. After 28 years of my life incarcerated. And and so, um, of course, uh, that, that thing about future shock and all that, yeah, you know, um, had no idea. It was I didn't even know that you, you, you know, the thing, the way you put the money in the bus now, I didn't, I didn't even know. <laughs> no. So, so I, I was, I was tripping. And, but luckily for me that, um, the state, they have a, a thing here where if you are incarcerated more than five years, um, felony offense, 
of course, you are uh, mandated to go into like a half in, half out situation. Mm-hmm. And so that's what they did with me, which I, I didn't mind, you know, because I, I wanted to kind of put my feet on the ground gently, you know, and, and use my mind to, to reinvent myself, you know, in the world. So, uh, so, but that didn't happen exactly like that. In fact, the greatest thing besides uh, being exonerated and getting my brothers out uh, happened to me in that uh, I, I met the woman that I married. Oh, man. And uh, not only was she just the woman I married, but, you know, she became everything to me. I mean, you know, all of the, uh, the uh, disappointments she made them, she rubbed them away, you know. All of the shortcomings, she stood tall. You know, all of the things I didn't understand in, 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 in the practices in this life, you know, she gently, you know, caressed me. You know, she didn't just, oh, boy, you got, you know, she gently, you know, held my hand and walked with me, you know. And, and when it came to, to my story and who I am, she accepted me. She loved you, know? you unconditionally. Unconditionally. That's and beautiful. so man, kind of bring tears to my eyes. Women have a special so, gift that guys don't have, man, and that's that's yeah. it is to deliver you kind of gingerly if need be, yeah. or with a stern hand, especially the yeah. ones who love us. It's kinda of one of them deals when you find one, guys like us. Like, <laughs> I'll follow every rule you want, just don't go anywhere. Let me see you every day. <laughs> so so uh so I met her, man, like like ninety days. Wow. After I got out. And uh, she wasn't even from Cleveland. She was from another town, but she had migrated up here at a job that paid like, I guess, twice the time more or something mm-hmm. uh, uh, as a supervisor, you know. And so on the exchange in the bus, she caught the wrong one and it brought her downtown where I was at. You did. Right. And, uh, and um, she, um, uh, she, she's not, she, ain't, she ain't got on her house stuff, but I was going to have her come. But she <laughs> She's so daggone pretty, man, and bow-legged, guys, right? <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> just getting out of joint all this time, and I see this, this, I mean, man, you know, you got to think, that was 15 years ago. Right. And she was bow-legged, man. I saw, oh, man, let me holler at her, right? Right. But, but it was met with, with uh, <laughs> she was one of them girls that you just couldn't pull up on, you know? Yeah. And, and I'm yapping at her, she yapping at me, and I, I'm loving this, though, right? And I'm yapping at her. She yapping at me. And so finally, I said, where the hell are you going? You know? And that's why she was upset, because she had caught the wrong bus. Right, you know? right. The bus she to catch you. No, no she caught get- the right bus, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I knew the one to get there, right? And, um, you know, as fate would have it, man, I ended up catching this bus, the right one, with her for the next, I'd say, Two weeks. Wow. Back and forth, you know, and I was thinking like I was looking for a job. I was thinking about the day I got a job. But uh, she said, yeah, man, you know, and uh, came my girl, man, and I told her about my story and she embraced it, man. Like she didn't bag up, well, you know, when I told her, you know, about my brother and my friend and, you know, and, and, and um, it was just a lovely thing. And so we got married the very next year in 2004, uh, August the 2nd. And, and we've been married now 15 years. Man. Wow, that's out. That's incredible. Congratulations. Congratulations yeah, that's she fantastic. Sounds like an amazing woman. 
Can you, can you now, as we bring kind of close, we're closing the interview out. Can you talk about what I believe, you know, really is just this powerful thing. And can you relate it to the, because I've, I've, I've watched a bunch of your videos and read some of the articles. Can you relate it to the concept of forgiveness about Mr. Vernon and, and his admission, which ultimately exonerated the three of you? Can you walk us through that process? Right. So, so I'm going to give you the, uh, that part, the legalities first, and then I'll take you back to, to the forgiveness part. Okay. So do, mm-hmm. the, do, the, do the first mm-hmm. part, last, last part first. Okay. Um, so, so I don't know if you saw, but I, I got a video. I'm going to try to get it to you. I don't, I don't know about the, you know, the rights and stuff, but, mm-hmm. um, Edward, Edward is featured in one of my videos. And it was the first time that, that I had seen him. He was 50, 52, going on 53. And, uh, you know, and he was saying how how bad he felt, you know, as he grew older, you know, and about what he had done. And um, and this was like uh, a, a bittersweet moment. Uh, I have to tell you that my brother accepts no apologies, you know, uh, and he has the right to do that. Mm-hmm, you know? Sure. You know, uh, he he uh, he accepts no apologies from no one that he feels has wronged us in this certain circumstances. Right. And again, you know, you, you got to remember, he is one that suffers the worst. Right. Uh, uh, psychologically. Um, but, uh, you know, yeah, uh, you know, he he uh, is his physicalness. He's kidneys. He's dying. You know, his kidneys is in one or two stage uh, something, you know. Edward is really going through it, you know. He's been on drugs and alcohol. He even did a bit himself, wow. you know. Um, and so uh, when, you know, coming out into all that and and, and uh, making these videos and having his preacher ask me if I would want to sit down with him and, you know, uh, um, was like even greater than all of the stuff aforementioned. Wow. Simply because this was the architect of the whole design right here. This was the creator of the story. This was the mofo that messed up my life right here that you asked sit across his table and not wring his damn neck. So you're asking me to do that, you know? Yep. Mm-hmm. I'm me, and I'm not the guy that would react in that way, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it happened. And so now I take you to why it happened, okay? Uh-huh. So on my journey, I got into different various uh, religions. I learned a lot uh, through Islam, right? Right. Uh, so much so that what I'm going to tell you is purely Islamic. And it's predicated on the faith, actually. And that is, if you cannot forgive another human being, for his or her wrongs, and you not, cannot say you love this life and this world. Amen. Just that simple. And so Edward Vernon became just another folly, as I was, in the great scheme of things. You see? Mm-hmm. And I forgave Edward Vernon, man, when I was 19 years old. Oh, wow. You see? When I woke up and realized that Edward Vernon had been used. Mm-hmm. As a child who was, what, seven years my junior, and I was a kid, 
You see? Yeah. He had been used in an even worse way because his mother was dying, man, of ovarian cancer. And they told him that because he was so young, they couldn't prosecute him. But simply that if he continued not to say what he had said originally, they wouldn't do it to his mother. Wow. You know, oppression. You got uh, coercion. Mm-hmm. Terror. You name it. It happened to that child who was even younger than me. Right. So, so I forgave Edward Vernon the very minute I became a man. Wow. You see? And so... This is my my gift to you, brothers, you know, going forward. If someone steps on your foot in the crowd, laugh and say, it's all right, brother. You walk on the top, I'll walk on the bottom. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. You see? Wow. Kwame- it's crazy how it takes certain situations for a man to go through to understand what you just said. I know true Islam saved my life. I mean, I, I've seen it at its purest form, actually. Yeah, you did. And uh, still to this day, that's <laughs> I have to know it. Otherwise, I get in trouble now. Right, but, uh, right. So many of those situations can shove you down the wrong road, man. But if you've come out enlightened like that, and it's, man, it's, that's, I like to refer to it as worldly. There's some people that walk around that have been subjected to some of the horrors that most humans aren't privy to or that we ultimately try to keep away from our people, man. But those of us, those who get dropped down into the, uh, you know, or put in the breach or dropped into hell and left down there for a while, it's almost one of those deals when we're expecting to see what comes back up, either a monster or the exact opposite. No Uh, doubt. It's, it's, um, it's truly uh, one, one of those enlightening things when you sit and listen, you can see it. You can see, you can hear it in his hear voice. It. You know, sometimes somebody's just peddling that crap. Literally, that's the the way it is. And yeah, the older we get, and the situations, the, the bad ones, it's obviously it's it's in the back of our head. And you have that tendency sometimes when they do step on the foot. The first one's like, "Hey, mother, what? Watch your damn foot!" But then you're like, hey. <laughs> "You know what, man? Yeah. My fault. I think I I might have stepped under your shoe." Yeah, right, man. So let me tell you before you close out. So, okay, so I'll go on. I joined this organization. Uh, Witness the Innocence, which is the only organization of its kind. And that's because all of the members, myself included, I just happen to be the chairman, are former death row exonerees who were who were wrongfully incarcerated. Wow. And and so and so we are we are national in the very close process of going international. Uh, we, we tell these stories. We educate the public. Uh, I'm using now a each one teach one uh, method which I developed personally hmm. for each and every brother. We have two sisters in this organization uh, that they can be empowered uh, to, to promulgate as a, uh, me or better, you know, and uh, really represent uh, this movement in a steadfast and powerful way. Because it's not just death row. It's not just life and punishment. It's, it's mass incarceration. It's, it's the sociological, it's the disenfranchisement, you know, it's the political. It, it goes all the way down to the fact that, that no one in no city can be prosecuted for any major crime unless that city can afford, okay, to have the special prosecution. It goes into a whole litany of things that only surrounds and affects the downtrodden. And so this is why Kwame Kamau and Jamu will be at your service. Whenever you need me, I'll come on your podcast and spread the news. Uh, 
I, I have contacts. I have a brother down in Florida. You guys in Florida. I have uh, one of my members who's also a board member. Herman Lindsay is in Florida. He's mm-hmm. doing some great things down there with the legislation for uh, capital punishment, mass incarceration, human developments, uh, social activities. So, you know, as we're going forward, man, we're going to be brothers. For real. Amen. Well, Kwame, thank you so much. Where can people follow your organization? What's your website? Is there a Facebook page? How can people pay attention and get involved to support you and your brothers and sisters in this cause? My man, hit me up at witnesstoinnocence.org. www.witnesstoinnocence.org. And when is, when is that book of yours going to come out? I'm hopefully in the late fall. Uh, I've been kind of kind of busy doing other things. And then I realized I made a key mistake, guys. <laughs> I put real names in it. So I had to go back. <laughs> <laughs> yep, that happens. Funny how that one works. <laughs> <laughs> that works huh? Right. Little liability uh, issues right on. Yeah. Well, sir, <laughs> it, it is uh, a true honor and a privilege for for us to be able to have you on this show. Uh, we appreciate your honesty, your sincerity, and most importantly, just your wisdom. Uh, and I, uh, for on a personal note, you, you're just a, quite an amazing human being and, and truly represent the never quit m- mentality and mindset. So uh, God bless you and God bless all that you do. All right, man. Thank you so, so much great, for doing man. this, sir. I, you're, hey, like I say, you're a true time, warrior. Man. True warrior, yeah. a true warrior of Islam, and uh, it's uh, one yeah. of them deals where it was an honor to have you on the show. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yes, sir. God bless. Thanks, sir. Marcus, dude, I mean, seriously, man. I mean, you, you, you think about being incarcerated alone, right? And, and that's enough to break the spirit or the the mind of a man but to be incarcerated unjustly and to never lose his hope or faith that his growth will continue and he at some point will like he said he will live to the day where he's freed and everything you know that's the worst thing you can do to a human take away their freedom their dignity even when you say that people can you imagine being thrown in the in prison for seven years, something you didn't do? No. No. Like, consciously, I'm like, no. no. I didn't Unless do it. you've been there. There's no way I'd wind up in there. No way. Everyone thinks that. Like, now nah, this America, blah, blah, blah. It happens all the time. I mean, we talk about it with the judicial system, and, you know, you get these people that have been pulled over for having marijuana in their car, and they're serving 10 years, you know? That's You think about these people that... Uh, you know, you say it out loud. I can't even quantify that. I didn't, man, you can't do that to somebody. Well, (laughs) well, the justice system, listen, don't get me wrong. My old man's been an attorney for 50 years. And so I grew up with it around it. There are certain people that justly get what they deserve, right? For sure. I'm talking about them, but, but there are also a substantial number. Our prisons are overcrowded. There's a substantial number and the way prisons are won, right? In my head, I, I think that the, it needs to be a set of politicians to get in the office don't care about the uh, the long-term game to get in and change the, that that part of it because a lot of the laws on the books haven't caught up with the time period. But with the judicial system, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that 
doesn't make sense. And I think because of that, that's when terrible stuff happens. Well, he made it abundantly clear, you know, when, when, especially if you don't have the means to afford Mm. a a good defense, uh, I mean, you're pretty much, you got most of the strikes against you right now. I mean, it it really, in so many cases, whether corporate cases or they're, you know, family practice cases, a lot of it comes down to just who has the most money right, so to, to bury like the other person. Uh, it's equal in the eyes of the law. She's blindfolded, right? But that's not true. It isn't. And that's, I think, and that's, what... It's because lawyers cost different amounts of money. Yep. And, and I think, you know, that's what his point was. And and I just really, beyond beyond that measure, I think the man himself... It really is the example of, sure. of going through all that, never coming quit. out with that kind of attitude, and and plus the group that he started and, and that collective getting together. You know, when they come walking in the door, you're not going to be able to bully them around. No, some lawyer's not going to be able to drop jargon on him because he's high paid or or anything like that. That's and he he nailed that too. He's like, I, I didn't know the law until I got in, and that's kind of the, the more you study the law, you understand it. And then, yeah, I just think what they're doing is great. You shouldn't. <laughs> Not one day in prison for something you didn't do. Amen. Amen. Well, if that was your first show, wow. I mean, what an amazing, Kwame is an amazing human being. Thank you for, for coming yeah, on board so and, and, and also listening to the show. Thank you for surviving. Yeah. Right. Right. And you know, so if you are, are, have got the bug now, you love the show. Please go to our website and check out uh tnqpodcast.com uh, where we have why we're doing it. We have all of our other shows. When you're there, if you feel like it, go over to our merchandise. We've got some great team uh, Never Quit podcast-specific shirts for sale as well as some other Team Never Quit swag as well. And we're getting swag. ready to deliver some more swag, swag, swag. swag. We're, we're working on some hats and cups and all kinds of things swag. for you guys. And, and the last thing I want to say is if you're – Repeat offender, and you're coming back, man. Thank you so much. God bless you. We love you. And we also want to thank the people that are writing in these amazing never quit stories, right? This collective family, this group that we have that is finally together in a way that, man, I mean, these things are powerful. One of the things we've also started doing is we started taking up, we take tons of questions out there. We take them through our Instagram accounts, and it's at Marcus Luttrell. Mine is at Team Frog Logic. The Wizard is at The Wizard TNQ. Um, but we get in also on our podcast page, on our website. Uh, we get a truckload of questions. But So today, we're not going to do a listener story. But what we are going to do is we're going to answer a listener question. So, Wizard, what do we got? What do you got for us today, buddy? You know, all the things people write in, um, we also get a lot of not only stories, but just, you know, people asking for some advice. Unfortunately, we don't have the bandwidth to, to answer everything that comes in. But when I found, when I came across this one, um, it just kind of stuck out to me. And I think uh, we'll, we'll run through this question here and just see if, you know, what we can come up with as far as some advice. So this is from Greg. He says, Greg says, I'll keep this as short as possible. I'm currently 35 years old. I live in South Florida. I was a sheriff's deputy from the time I was 27. Something happened to me when I turned 30, and that almost seemed overnight. Depression. It's cost me a lot in the past five to six years. It cost me my job, times with my family that should have been happy and positive, stress, and other feelings that I wouldn't wish upon anyone. Not everything is bad, though. In fact, there's way more good than anything else, 
which is almost more frustrating. I have an amazing wife that seems to have gotten the short end of the stick, so to speak. This all started right around the time we got married, yet despite everything, all the hard times and tears, all my stupid decisions, carrying this family for a very long time, and even through tough love, she's always been there and remains by my side. Just short of four years ago, maybe the greatest thing that ever happened to us, when our son Jace was born. These past four years with him have brought me ups and downs. I look at him and it makes me so incredibly happy and proud. But then in the next breath, sadness. Sadness because I feel I failed him as a dad. Recently, I've made a decision within myself. And while I've stumbled here and there, I've decided that I don't want to do this any longer. I want to enjoy the great life I know I have, I just can't seem to grasp. I want to enjoy my marriage and make my wife feel safe as well as feel vulnerable with her again. I've listened to every single TNQ podcast, most multiple times, and every time I do, I hope I'm going to find the one spark or idea that's going to finally pull me out of this. You'd think that my wife and son, among other things, would be enough. Not to say they aren't the most important things on earth to me, but I just can't seem to get it done. I've always believed in never quitting and still do. I make strides and and progress to that, but then ultimately I seem to walk back and quit again. I feel there's still so much more in me to give and so much more good to do. I've thought about reaching out to you many times and never have, but I am now. After seeing all the people you've helped, even your stories, it's one more thing I'm now hopeful about. Thank you again and taking the time to read this. Well, Greg, man, first off, man, thank you for having the courage to write in and to express this challenge, man. I, I, I feel your pain very personally. I've battled depression on and off for a lot of years in my life. And the one thing that I can share with you is that it, it's not going anywhere. I mean, you can learn to minimize it through a variety of different things. Certainly your, your family being focused in that, uh, certainly your children becoming a better man, your physicality, what you eat, how you sleep, uh, the environments and the people you surround with all can help temper the longevity of depression for sure. What I recommend most first and foremost is go find a, a quality psychologist, go in there and begin, you know, regular treatments once, twice a week. If you need to at first, to where you can have somebody that you could develop rapport with, develop some trust, and really begin to understand where it comes from, right? Not just speculation, but understand whether or not it is genetic, whether or not it was triggered by something in your life. Really get down into the details of what it is. Once you understand that, then you begin to understand the triggers, all right, you begin to understand what how it's leading in. You begin to understand what is company, how it begins to ramp up, where what makes it spike, and really dig into the specificity of how you process your depression, how it affects you, how it affects the people around you. And at that point, I believe is when you can become really proficient at addressing it and learning to temper it to control it in a way where it doesn't wreak havoc in your life. But I'm telling you right now, if you ignore it, if you try and quash it, if you try and compartmentalize it, if you try and numb it with booze or drugs or whatever, it's gonna destroy you. I promise you that. It's not something that just can go away because you don't like it. It's something that you really, really have to attack head on. 
Marcus, how do you feel about reaching out to a professional sometimes and getting some help? I did my whole life. <laughs> I joined the Navy. They were the pros. If I wanted to learn how to do anything, I always go out. You guys know I'm real upfront about my uh, lack of everything, right? <laughs> so I, I had to build myself from the ground up. The more uncomfortable you are about the situation you're in, the more of a pro- professional you're going to need out of somebody else. Does that make Absolutely. sense? Absolutely. And there are people that are really good out there yeah, it's been who know what they're while, doing. Man, and that know yourself, right, kind of deal. I guess the mind and the body aren't clicking. And that, is, is that what's going on, or more or less? Or the, it could be a bunch of different scenes yeah, from I, a neurological right, perspective. I don't even want to but, pretend to diagnose that. That's Morgan's wheelhouse yeah. more, more than mine. But I know that in any situation where you're, you're not on the – plane that you want to be on and you understand that that's the first step right yep evaluating the problem and and then going from there and it's just like with anything else uh, i would imagine if your body shut down like that along with your mind it's almost like being born you're in a part of a you're in a stasis you can't get out of it that funk so i would imagine that it's small steps it baby, is. baby steps to to regain your composure and keep pushing forward but i think you should know that you can get out of it for sure. Right? There are solutions. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem that a lot of people run into is they, they mask it. right? They they cover it up with something, and that, that never leads to anything. Or good. they hide it from their close personal friends. Nobody wants to ever feel as if they have a weakness or anything like right. that. I think so. it's important to remember, man, that some of us can get through the situation fine. And it's because you go back in the past, maybe we had both parents, or we were in a situation that allowed us to be trained for the, for the, the moment that we just got in together and... Not everybody's upbringing is the same. Maybe somebody didn't have that that mm-hmm. tutelage throughout the, their their life. So, man, that's when you go to the guy who did. He can explain it to you, and, and that's okay. It's it's important that you ask questions because that's how you learn. I mean, you're not born knowing everything. And throughout life, as you get older, the more you step out and get into to more situations around other people, there's the more chances are you're going to have to not only to learn but to experience joy and defeat. And if you get into a situation where you're always getting defeated and all the people are around you don't have a problem with that, it's easy to fall into a hole because we're, we're pack animals, man, humans. Even you find somebody who's like, oh, I like to be alone. I don't like this, that, and the other. They still do something that they hope somebody else sees. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, Absolutely. Even the biggest person is like, I don't want to be left alone. He's out there yelling at people mm-hmm. to, yell, to leave him alone, right? If he wanted to be left alone, he'd just go be alone. He wants people to know he wants to be alone. <laughs> you know so yeah. yeah, and that's the that's kind of the way they, they ask for help without asking. Like, oh, I just want to be left alone. All right, man, let's go hang out. For sure. For sure. So I I just want to start my thanks and the show by giving thanks to God, giving thanks to Christ, giving thanks to my my uh, my endless sunshine, my girls, my family. I want to thank Kwame, man, for your cur- your courage and your conviction and and to to stay in the fight, brother. I mean, you're amazing. I want to thank our, our our listeners. I want to thank Greg for writing in and asking that great question. Pro- we probably should do a, a show in the future about depression. It's a big topic out there. I want to thank our listeners, man, because without you, we wouldn't be here. And I want to thank you, cats, man. Thank you. Yeah, Greg, thanks for writing in, brother. And Kwame, I, I don't know what to say. I, when you listen to stories like that, it's one of those deals where you just listen. You just need to listen exactly. and watch mm-hmm. every single mannerism he he shot out over that screen. I was just glued to it. 
because you, you think in the back of your head, ultimately you put yourself in that spot, right? Right. But you try to. You can't. Yeah, you know, even everything we've been through. Mm-mm. So that says volumes about the type of man you are and, to, and what you can take and what you can endure. And thank you so much for walking that line and, and fighting that war by yourself and coming on on the other side a better man and teaching us a little bit about ourselves to make our country a better place. You're an American warrior. Thank you for it. Amen. I'm out. Out. Never quit. Never quit. Never quit.